case you missed the first eight episodes of Deadly Accurate, here's a quick recap. The pond is contaminated. After a few days of sleeping in the forest and lurking around town, I decided to attempt to hitchhike. However, I discovered that there were no roads leading in or out of town. And what's even more amazing is I never noticed this coming into town. He told me, quote, the knife slipped. There I am in the kitchen, cutting up a steak, just about to eat lunch, and the knife slips. I look behind me, and unfortunately my wife has been decapitated and my two small children have been strangled on the ground. Oh, a simple accident, I said. He replied, yes, just a simple accident. In what the police would describe as a very suspicious disappearance. Are back to back and then they turn around and shoot each other. This had involved 15 people and they all turned around and shot each other. As it turns out simultaneously, evidently. I don't really know. I wasn't around for it. Don't blame me. Don't blame me. The residents like to think that they had a special relationship with Deadly Accurate. One that would never be publicized. Betty had tied her husband Jim up and told the employees of Deadly Accurate that she needed them to store a body, a live body, and that she would retrieve it when she was ready. And that's why, even years later, if you listen too closely when you're at the Deadly Accurate headquarters, you can hear a man screaming in the basement. Jim is still waiting to get picked up. We had intended to go golfing, but without any tea times available, we resorted to a leisurely afternoon of fishing. He had a small boat, and we each took a paddle and started out to the middle of his tiny pond. What I would discover before reaching dry land again would change my entire investigation. Reaching the middle of the lake, we cast our lines into the water. We decided to crack open a cold beer For some reason, Mr. Peterson only brought one beer, so we had to share it. I don't really know why he didn't think he had to bring multiple beers, but you know. It's his boat, his rules. It's his boat, his rules. Mr. Peterson broke out the lunch that he had packed. I had a T-bone steak, sizzling hot with perhaps a horseradish-inspired crust. It was delicious. Mr. Peterson sure can serve up a sizzling steak on a boat, that's for sure. He had a cheese sandwich with a side of sour cream. I looked at my guest and he was sweating profusely and was holding the fish up to his face. Eyeball to eyeball with the fish when he dropped the bombshell. The bombshell I had been waiting for since this investigation began. He said, quote, You can dress a fish in pajamas, but you can't make him walk. Hearing this, I jumped off the boat and swam to shore. There's no way I'm spending another minute with a man that crazy. The diner was open, and I got a cup of chicken noodle soup and headed back to the mayor's basement. And we had lunch together. It was dark in the basement, but things were going well, and I think the mayor was enjoying his meal. It was just then I noticed a strange light glistening off of the cracker he was dunking in his soup. After recording the previous episode, I drifted off to sleep in my treehouse, only to be awakened in the middle of the night. Well, not quite awakened. I was knocked unconscious.
unconscious. I waited in the lab for several hours, had a few bagels, a few donuts, some coffee, had a small orange juice, medium grapefruit juice, and I think, I think I found a breadstick somewhere in the back room, and I ate the breadstick too. But at night, they turned to savages. And I ate the breadstick too. He told me that Miss Williamson had, quote, made a terrible mistake and that her grandson was dead. Evidently, she had been out gardening and accidentally struck him with a gardening spade. This accident, as she said, had involved six or seven gashes to the head of Billy. The men at Deadly Accurate, however, did not bat an eye. Miss Williamson would go on to say that she was very happy with the job and that once again Deadly Accurate had saved her. I have reenacted the recording to the best of my abilities. It's a long way up those stairs. I'm going to hit this guy with a golf club square in the back of his head and... I tagged along with the team as we started out on foot to the edge of the city and we met the elderly man named Bruce outside of his property. Inside the residence, I witnessed my first triple homicide. I needed some alone time, so I took the rest of the day off. I didn't want to report anything else, and I went back into the woods. I reconstructed a new treehouse. The old one had since been demolished. Up in the treehouse, with my animal crackers and root beer, I could observe most of the town. I noticed that residents didn't really leave their homes very much, and when they did leave their homes, it was basically just to do garden work. I had brought with me the photographs that Betty gave me of the swimsuit models. I tacked a few to one of the walls and drifted off to sleep. I was awoken in the middle of the night with a sound that was unmistakable. A golf club to a skull. This is the story of Deadly Accurate. But more importantly, it's the story of the town of Bukumbi and the residents. By the end of this podcast, you'll find out who, if anyone, if they even want to, will get out of town alive. Would you please state your name and position? My name is Harry Lodsworth, and I'm the mayor of Bukumbi is there any other information you can give us about Bukumbi? It's a really pleasant place to live. Oh, yeah. There's a mass grave in the middle of town. There's a mass grave in the middle of town.